Hello, and thank you so much for tuning into the She Can Gall podcast. I'm your host, Mahi Jariwala. Today, we're joined by Jasmine Thomas, a guard for the Connecticut Suns. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, I'm happy to be on. Thanks for reaching out. <laughs> so growing up, was basketball a big part of your life? Um, it was. Uh, I started playing because of my older brother. So the first parts of my experience with basketball was actually just being a fan, being a little sister, uh, going to his games, his practices, and kind of just being around sports. Um, and then I just, when I was around nine or 10, I remember asking my dad, like, can I play? Like, it was the first time I showed any interest in any um, athletics. So he was like, sure, we didn't know you wanted to. Like, we started doing some research on um, like local uh, boys and girls clubs or rec centers that I could play at. And so, yeah, since I was about nine years old, I've been, basketball has been everything. <laughs> and I know you had a very successful high school career, McDonald's All-American, Gatorade Player of the Year, four-time state champion, the list goes on. I know it was a while ago, but what was your experience with high school basketball? Um, high school basketball was a memory for me that's like really special just because I, I grew up really putting everything into AAU. Um, you know, traveling around with my travel team in the summers and putting all my energy kind of into that. That's where I made most of my friends. That's where I played like the best competition. But I started off at a Catholic high school in Maryland. And, you know, the decision was just for basketball. It was just, I was in a private school in middle school and it was just kind of like, here's a place where there's a coach that I, I like, uh, you know, it's a, a way to kind of put me on that path to playing at an elite college. And I wasn't happy with the decision. So I ended up transferring to my local public school and had a more well-rounded high school experience, I wanna say, which I think is really important. Um, I was more social, I was more comfortable. I was you know, able to be closer to home. And on, on top of that, I met Fred Priester, who was my coach all four years. He's still the coach at Oakton High School now. And I was actually able to develop a relationship with a coach that lasted the rest of my life. And um, you know, that's not something that happens all the time. And he was such a significant part of why I loved the game and why I wanted to continue playing. So um, that high school experience means a lot to me. That's awesome, though, from a young age that you were like, all right, this is what's going to be the path and this is what's going to take to get there. And you knew. When do you think you really started just knowing like, all right, this is like the work I'm going to have to put in if this is where I want to go? Around 13, which is, I don't know if that's considered early or late, but when I was 13, um, you know, going into my freshman year of high school is when it really became like uh, everything. Everything became important, not just like the practice, but actually the, the mindset and the focus and the mental part of the game. I started watching film. Um, I started, you know, breaking down games with coaches or rewatching games with my dad and kind of figuring out like how to understand the game, how to read the game, how to you know, the things that I was working on in the court, how to see where I can implement them mentally before actually doing that was when I was around 13. So um, it's really funny because those habits follow you. Those are the same comfort habits I go back to now when I, you know, feel like I need to fine tune things or when I feel like my game is off or to stay sharp scouting, getting ready for a game. Those are still the same habits I have. And like getting all those like awards and stuff like how how was that like Gatorade State for the year is like a really really big accolade yeah um I don't know I've, I feel like looking back on it now I obviously realize those are major accomplishments so young for sure but 
I think at the time I just was playing basketball for the fun and joy of it. I love to compete. So I was obviously competitive, wanted to, you know, outwork, prove myself, um, but more so just, just because I love the game. It, it really, everything kind of just came with it. And uh, it was never, I would always kind of get in, not in trouble, but coaches would always talk to me about being more selfish, like being more, I was one of those people that just, I love to be a part of a team. You know, I want to, I want to have my role. I want to do my role. You can count on me to do my role every, every single night, but these are also my friends. This is my family. Like, you know, I want everyone else to feel just as significant in their value on the team as well. And I've been like that since I was a kid. And I think, you know, when you're authentic in who you are as a person and as a player, and you don't let kind of outside things affect that, you know, you get to see your best success. And I was able to stay true to myself and still accomplish those things at a young age and, and continue to do them now. And how did you end up at Duke? I ended up at Duke. Um, so my top three schools, I feel like, I know my top two for sure was UVA and, and Duke. And then I know I kept Maryland in the picture because it was another local school that I grew up kind of playing AAU tournaments there and just following them because it was close. And of course, UConn, you know, you, you can't <laughs> not, you know, when, when they're interested in you, you got to definitely keep them high on the list. But I went on my official visit to Duke and I just knew that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be open-minded to any other place after that because it was just such a special, memorable moment. Like just stepping on the campus, I felt like it was where I belonged. Um, I'd always been a Duke basketball fan, both men's and women's, and just watching them and you know being part of that culture and that you know success of winning both on the court and in the classroom. It was it was hard for me. To, to say no to Duke. So that's pretty much how I ended up there, kind of like a, a dream school story. Yeah, and then I know you were academic all district as a sophomore, academic all American as a junior and senior. How were you able to play college basketball at such a high level while you're keeping up with the academic rigor of Duke? Um, you know, they do a good job uh, kind of teaching you how to prioritize. Uh, you have, you know, your study halls, your tutors, your um, anything that you might need extra assistance in. They have the resources to make sure that you can um, put that time and that effort in when you need to. But ultimately, the responsibility goes on the on the student athlete. Um, my parents, even when I was younger, they always made sure that I was, you know, behaving in school and, you know, getting good grades in order to play basketball. And anytime any of those things slipped or they got any kind of notes from school about it, tell me, well, you, you can't go to practice or you won't play in the game or you won't go to this tournament. Like, you know, you need to understand where the priorities lie. For me with Duke, it, I was conditioned early and I just continued with that. I feel like Duke is one of those schools where the basketball is super good and like academics are super good. So like going to other schools, I feel like it might've been easier on the academic side, but did you ever feel like more pressure? Like it was harder for you just because you went to a school where academics was such a big thing as well? Um, I absolutely felt the pressure. <laughs> uh, I wanna say when I first, you know, I went to do thinking I was going to be pre-med. I always wanted to be a pediatrician. That was my dream job. And I was like, you know what? This is my opportunity to do it. Um, I started off taking some entry-level biology courses and some things that really brought that into perspective for me, being able to do that while um, the, having that rigorous schedule as an athlete was really tough for me. And, you know, there's plenty of, of players that have been able to do it and 
kudos to them. I have so much respect for people that are able to take on those, you know, extreme majors and still compete at a high level at their sport. I couldn't do it. <laughs> so my first, you know, um, major reality check was like, you know, I'm going to have to figure out a different path for me. What is it going to look like through my four years? So I ended up being a marketing major, um, which is still something I'm very much interested in, can, can see myself continuing to do after basketball. And I was able to just work around it with my basketball schedule better. Um, I wasn't feeling as stressed that the demand for the schoolwork was pretty much the same, but I felt more comfortable in what I was learning and the experience I was having and the courses I was taking. So uh, that was kind of how that went. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get you there. I think, like I said before, when you're going to a school where like that's such a big thing, I feel like it's definitely harder to keep both those things in check. So I'm happy that you're kind of able to figure out what worked for you. For sure. And then when you were drafted in 2011 into the WNBA, what was that experience like? Like, that's just incredible. It was literally a dream come true you know that as cliche as that is that's exactly what it feels like that moment when you hear your name and you feel like you just realized you were holding your breath for like however long it took <laughs> until they said it you know it's just you kind of feel like a weight lifted off of you in one sense from like all the hard work and all the things that you you never really thought could come to this point but you hoped that it would to see it actually happen and then you go to do that interview and you start to think about all the new pressure and all the new you know you're going in as this um you know someone who's always been the best on their team someone who's you know played at, at an elite college been one of the best on the teams played against the best competition in college and then you realize I'm about to go into a league with grown women who are the best to ever have played this game. And, you know, you just start thinking about, all right, time to start over. You know, I've done this before. I've started young, I've started inexperienced and I've built my way up. And that's, that's kind of, you know, we don't have that transition period like the NBA does where, you know, you get to have the, you know, the summer to develop and then go into a season. We finish in college and go directly into being a pro. And I think that comes with some of its faults, but, it also is pretty cool to kind of just get thrown in and all of a sudden you're playing with, you know, Diana Taurasi, Tamika Catchings and like all these great people. And it's, um, it's a, it's an amazing experience. Right, so now you're starting point guard for the Connecticut Sun. Um, like, what do you think helped you transition to get there? Um, I mean, just the path that I took, honestly, I started, I did my first two seasons in Washington and then my next two seasons in Atlanta. And then I finally found like a consistent home with Connecticut and all along the way, I feel like it was preparing me for that moment. You know, I was a young point guard, a point guard's a very tough position to be in um, as far as, you know, it's, you're the coach on the floor. You have a lot of responsibility, a lot of personalities and um, different styles of play, both from coaching and from players to kind of adjust to, all while still trying to develop and be yourself and figure out, you know, figure out your body, get stronger, get faster, catch up to the game. And I think I felt, or you could see those transitions happening every season that I was in the league. And um, I've been fortunate that I've always worked myself in a, into a position where I was playing minutes. You know, I never really had to sit the bench or, you know, never got experience along the way. So by the time I got to Connecticut, I kind of felt, you know, confident in who I was becoming as a player. I had been through so much adversity that I was just in a position where I'm like, I'm gonna embrace this, this new opportunity, um, really take on more of a leadership role now. Um, I think I'd been in the year, league 
by that was my fifth season. So, you know, now I'm, you're actually considered a veteran once you get to that time. And I just yeah. kind of started to enjoy the experience as a whole and not, you know, for the negative things that had happened leading up to it. And with facing adversity, like I know everyone goes through that um, in their career, but how do you think you were kind of able to embrace that and move on? Um, I think first and foremost, my family um, always had that consi consistent support system where, you know, they're just real with me. You know, they're real with me when they know I can do better. They challenge me to, to, to be better, but they're also there when they know that, you know, I just need, I need the support. I need the positivity. I need the, you know, um, that shoulder to cry on, shoulder to lean on, being able to, you know, sit in that weakness and, and, and find a way to get out of it and get better. And they've been there for me since I was a kid. And anytime something happens, there's still that, you know, that's still my little crew that I go to. Um, and then after that, I'd say just great teammates, um, coaches, you know, when you have a coach and an organization that really believes in you and gives you, you know, when you're down, when you're up they're they're with you, you know, never get too high, never get too low, I think is one of the things that stuck with me the most and being able to stay confident. That's the hardest thing with adversity is staying confident in yourself um, and not taking adversity personally, that, that you're not worthy enough, you're not good enough, you are, you just have to you know, be better, find a way to, you know, fit into different situations. Exactly. And what do you think makes a talented point guard? Um, a lot of things. I think, you know, the point guard position has changed so much over time where it's not just an assist maker. It's not always just a pass first position. It's, you know, someone who is a leader vocally, a leader by example, you're you're technically just a playmaker. You know, you score when you need to, you get the ball to the right people when you need to, you keep everybody organized, you keep everybody calm. I think a huge piece of a point guard position is being able to stay composed and your team feeds off of that. You know, when when a, another team goes on a 10 10 run or something, and you know, your coach has called a timeout, you know, what your demeanor is, is, is what your teammates will feel feed off of. And if you are, if you're confident and composed, they will be too. And then, you know, you come out and you have your own 20 to 10 run. And then the next thing, you know, you know, everyone, everyone can feel that. So I think um, really being able to relate to people is a big thing. Also as a point guard, how, how everyone's not the same. You can't have conversations. You can't have confrontation with everyone the same. So as a point guard, you're really trying to get the most out of your teammates when they're confident, when they feel good about everything that's going on, they make your job a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. And I know that not only are you really a great offensive player, but you're also an amazing defensive player, chosen three times for the WNBA all defensive first team. Are there any drills or tactics that you use to elevate your defense? Um, I would say I've always been a defensive player, even young when I started out playing basketball, I was my offensive skill sets were pretty raw. It's just, you know, an athlete. So defense was natural for me. I wanted the ball, had a knack for getting the ball and I was competitive. So those are still the same things that, you know, motivate me to play defense now. But I think uh, what I've learned as a professional and even in college and over time is their strategy to defense. So not necessarily specific drills, but there are concepts that are taught like how to get over screens, you know, um, certain ways to defend people one-on-one, -on -one, how to put, you know, keep your body in front of them, not really following the ball, but making sure you're staying in front or, you know, being active with your hands, little strategic tactic things. And then those things 
to go from one-on-one -on -one defense to team tactics. So I think that's been a key factor in my success defensively. But also, I would say just keeping my body in the best shape possible. There are very few people um, that can play both sides of the ball for every minute that they're on the court. And that's something that I take a lot of pride in. I don't ever want to be that person that's resting on defense. So, you know, as long as I'm doing my conditioning, I'm staying in the weight room and really keeping my body at its like, you know, prime, I feel like it allows me to, to play well. And I know you were also selected in 2017 for the All-Stars. What was that experience like? It's another dream come true. You know, you, you, that's the thing. I feel like I never said, this is something that I want for myself. I want to be a WNBA All-Star. I really just go out there and play to be the best player that I can be and that my you know, hope that I'm setting a legacy for myself that I was, you know, a, a tough player, a player that got better every year, a player that was a great teammate, um, and hopefully a player that wins a championship, because that for me, that's ultimately the most important thing. And I think just naturally in that season, we had a good chemistry, um, everyone was coming into their own. And while I was an all star for the numbers that I was putting up and for how well I was playing, I feel like our whole team could have been all stars like we were just playing really, really good basketball and the I'm grateful for the selection, of course, it's definitely an accolade I'm proud of, but the fact that my family was able to be there with me in Seattle to have that experience with me, um, that was pretty cool. They were taking selfies with like everybody and it was a little <laughs> embarrassing, but it was cool. <laughs> and I know like um, after the WNBA, you go and play overseas. How exhausting is it that you have to go to the WNBA and then go and play overseas? Cause I know that can be crazy. You know, I was talking to, um, like one of those strength and conditioning coaches for the Atlanta dream. And he was saying like, it's difficult. Cause when you get players, like they, they're like their body's a little bit more exhausted when you think about NBA, cause they play a short season and they go train and take a break. Like they're not really playing and using their body as much. Exactly. It's, it's difficult. Uh, you know, like anything, you know, we're resilient. Women are amazing. So, <laughs> you know, just you get used to it. You find a way to survive. You find a way to really take care of your body and stay as healthy as possible. But Honestly, you just have your moments where you just have to be real with your coaches, both in the WNBA and overseas, like I'm tired, you know, so the practice schedule has to be adjusted. The minutes I'm playing, it has to be adjusted. Uh, we need some off days here and you have to get massages there, constantly going to treatment, cold tubs, all these things. But I think it, it doesn't provide us that opportunity to really strength train like we would like when you think about the college model or even like you said the nba model you know you have that off season where you really devote it to being in the gym working on your strengths and weaknesses being in the weight room being out on the football field or the track like just killing it trying to get your body in the best shape possible we pretty much just stay in game shape year round we don't really get that off season you know top of your um top of your fitness shape and um in order to do that, you have to elect to say, okay, I'm not gonna play. You know, it's it sucks to have to miss out on money for your livelihood to say like, okay, I need this break. But um, that kind of happens as players get older for sure. Yeah, I think that just, I just think that's incredible. I think a lot of people like overlook that portion, but like playing games year round is crazy, especially when you're playing at such a high level and you're training at such a high level. Yeah, it really is. It's not the healthiest thing, but I mean, some pretty incredible players have, have had amazing careers doing it. <laughs> like, have you had a favorite place that you've played overseas? Um, Living-wise, 
I guess I was the most comfortable maybe in Israel. I feel like everybody spoke English. Food was easy to, you know, adjust to, but I'm somebody that when I go overseas, I actually want an experience that is different from America. So I think I enjoyed, um, I think I enjoyed Turkey, honestly. I really like it here a lot. I was comfortable in Ankara. Um, I think Istanbul might be one of my favorite cities in the world. Um, but I also had an opportunity to play a, like an Arab tournament in Jordan. And the tournament, it was for a team in Jordan, but the tournament was in Morocco. So that was really, really cool. So um, I don't know, I've been some cool places, but yeah, Turkey's probably my favorite league and, and country that I've played in. I feel like it's hard because you have to go to like a different country and you have to like get accustomed and you're literally living there for like a long period of time because like I know like we like to travel and like literally when I go to like to airports and like when I enter new places I'm like oh my gosh like this is like so new it's so different like how do you adjust to like these new countries especially because a lot of times they don't speak that much English there right um I mean, I think the first thing is I'm a traveler. Like even without basketball, I love to experience other cultures. I love to meet people and, you know, sightsee and do all of that stuff. So I love food. And I think that all of that together just makes traveling a great experience for me. But it's, you know, it, it is tough sometimes that language barrier and just the, the foreignness of it all. And, you know, if something happens, like I, a funny story, my first, my first season overseas, I played in Czech Republic. And it was really my first time living out of the out of the country. So I knew that I needed these converters for the outlets and all of this stuff, but I didn't really understand that I couldn't just plug everything up. So I put an extension cord into one outlet and I tried to plug up like five different things. And I had just got in my apartment. It was probably 10 o'clock at night from the airport, dark, and I blew the power out. And I could only call the police. That was the only number that I knew on this like phone that I didn't, that barely worked. So they were like, oh yeah, she plays for the basketball team. She's new and it was embarrassing, but I was like also scared, you know, first time in a different country, couldn't speak to anyone. But since then we've not had any other, <laughs> any other issues like that, but your teammates are who you usually rely on. They're usually the people that speak the most English that kind of, take you in as family and you feel like a home away from home. They'll invite you to dinners at their houses. They'll take you around to the malls to get you kind of in this little rhythm. And then you just, you know, spend the next few months kind of branching out more and more each month. And it's, it's an experience, but it's fun. I really, really enjoy playing overseas and traveling. And I know you're also like a big philanthropist and I'm familiar with their contributions to the Yao Cancer Fund. What inspired you to get involved with them? So my mom um, is a breast cancer survivor and we actually have um, a pretty strong history of breast cancer in our family. Um, and so naturally we did the things with, you know, Play for K at Duke and it just came up where there was an opportunity for there to be a WNBA partnership. Um, over all this time, there never had been one before. So I felt honored to be the player to really kind of start to try to bring that, um, that partnership to life. And we were able to kind of do, I think, the first year of the partnership, I did um, a dinner, a post-game dinner doing Breast Health um, Awareness Month, which in the WBA is in August, and it was an amazing turnout. We ended up raising like almost $20,000 just in a, you know, a couple weeks. And then this last summer, we did a virtual walk run, and we were able to get uh, $10,000. So it's just amazing the support that we've been able to get. And 
um, it makes my mom happy to feel like, you know, she's involved and that, you know, we're always honoring her and it's just important. Um, and I think the best thing about KEOW is it's not just breast cancer. It's, you know, they provide support for families and, and women that are dealing with all cancers. So um, we're actually trying to figure out like how we can really vamp that up and make something innovative and, and unique to the WMBA here soon. So that's awesome. I salute you so much for just being able to be more than an athlete and create your impact off the court. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. My last question for you is what advice do you have for girls looking to pursue basketball at a high level like you? Um, it has to be your passion. Um, I think you don't really know if it is or not until you face some challenges and some adversity that force you to have to choose if it's really what you want to do. I know as a kid, it's fun to, you know, play sports and do things socially or just be active and be involved. But if you really want to go to college and play, if you really want to be a pro in any sport, it's a different kind of work ethic that that's required. It's a ton of sacrifice. So if you're not passionate about it, you definitely won't continue doing it and you won't enjoy it. You know, it should you know, you should love the conditioning that makes you, you know, want to cry that you're in so much pain, you know, because yeah, it sucks, but you know that it, what it's for, you know, the ultimate end goal for, for all the work that you're putting in for sacrificing, you know, birthdays, holidays, and, you know, being away from home to, to achieve your dreams. So my, my main thing is make sure it is your passion and that you actually love it. For sure. Do you want to plug any social media accounts? Um, sure. So my personal Instagram is at Jazz Thomas. That's J-A-S-Z-T-H-O-M-A-S. And my personal little hobby, uh, soon to be turned business, is my baking account, which is um, at baking underscore bucket. I believe that's what it is. It's been a little bit now, but yeah, at baking bucket. Um, yeah. So you can definitely follow me on there. Um, at Jazz Thomas is my handle on all platforms too. So that's Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, you name it. That's me. Okay. Thank you so much again. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for having me on and good luck with you with the rest of the way and getting more people to join you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. I just want to give a huge shout out to August Gill Apparel for sending me their amazing merch. They're an amazing company that creates clothes to inspire conversation through empowerment, finding your voice, and being heard. I'm wearing their Be Bold hoodie and you can find it as well as all their other apparel in the link in the episode notes.